Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity, we're not quite there yet, but we're moving towards it. And the highway to the north. Well, we were on that several times today. This is Safety Wars from Monday, January 8th. 2024. I'm a friend who, and I'm messing around with the camera here, and the camera's not exactly straight. There we go. I have a friend who did a really eloquent Instagram post. Phenomenal. She got to the last line and she messed up on the ear. Gotta be very careful. So be careful out there. However, it was a phenomenal post on personal growth and everything and goal setting 2024. You see, I almost did it. How's everybody doing out there? Hope you enjoyed your weekend. Uh, We had our first real snowfall of the year up here in the lower upstate New York region, Rockland County. Got a lot, eight inches, roughly. Uh, So, spent the day frolicking in the snow and doing all the snow-related activities yesterday. Uh, You know, and it was, and today, doing field work, it was not pleasant. It was cold. Real cold. But, no need to fear everything. All the snow will be gone, like, tomorrow. When we start to get another rainstorm up here, we're supposed to get three or four inches of rain. Which moves us into our first uh, topic today. Uh, Let me uh, mention this prior uh, before I forget. So we talked about goals and everything last week, and we're going to revisit that a little bit later on. But... Uh, I'm involved, uh, at least online, in the prepper community. That is uh, disaster preparation, things of that nature. It's one of my interests and one of my things, building up capacity to respond to emergencies for your family, for your community, and eventually that will help the entire society out. So what they're worried about is uh, the big buzz is threats to the grid, meaning electrical grid. And there, no, we have people, you know, uh, today I went to the, well, over the weekend, I went to the gas station, got some gas for my truck. And you had like 10 people online getting gas for their generators up here. Presumably generators and uh, snowblowers. And... Now, tonight it was the same thing. Like five people in front of me getting stuff for their generators were, I no, not snowblowers. Uh, 
No, if there were contractors, it's obviously for snowblowers. But, no, people, uh, you know, I know a couple. They were in generators talking to them in there. Hey, what are you doing that? What, getting stuff for your uh, snowblower? No, 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 generator, generator. We're all worried about it. And, no, that, that's a legitimate thing to talk about. As we talked about earlier last year uh, with uh, James Taylor from the Heartland Institute, Solar power, no, it has its place and all these alternative fuels because of disasters, things of that nature. So in the wintertime, you have some advantages, especially if it's cold out. You don't need refrigeration as much. You can put things in coolers, put them outside. But you do have a heating issue a lot of times that you got to prepare for. Uh, also, with these disasters here, people put generators inside their house, their gasoline generators, and they end up, you hear every year, a couple of families getting wiped out over uh, generators or people getting hurt because of generators. Not a, you know, follow the instructions and everything. But the big thing is this. Well, let me back up. Choose one thing a year. If you're going to be into disaster preparation, now everybody says, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to No. Choose one thing a year. This could be the year that you get your finances in order and you build capacity that way for disasters. Get out of debt. Things that, that's a very good thing. It could be, well, we're going to get a generator this year. We're going to learn how to use it. We're going to teach everybody how to use it. We're going to try to drive a ground spike in the backyard in an appropriate location. Right? Don't put it through any utilities or anything. Uh, we're going to get no secure our water supply. We're going to have three or four days worth of food. We're going to do whatever. And you try to do one thing at a time. Now, the other big thing with disasters, and my wife uh, reminded me of this. So we're talking about the storm over dinner. By the way, she made a phenomenal manicotti tonight. But anyway, we're talking over dinner and stuffed manicotti. But anyway, uh, I digress. We're talking. She's like, I said, well, what are, what, what are you doing? You know, today we're going through. Well, she says, look, I'm following some of your advice here. We may have a power outage. They're screaming about it, different problems, different issues and everything else. Make sure the sump pumps are working and everything tomorrow night, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to wash all of the clothes. I'm getting done with all the laundry and all the dishes, making sure we have paper products if necessary because they're saying that this may be, uh, if we get whacked with a power outage, it may be over 12 hours, uh, is what some of the local reports are saying. So I said, okay, that's good. And that, those are the important things, are creature comforts sometimes. Right? If people don't have clean dishes, they have a, no, a, a, a thing of uh, a, a, a sink full of pots, pans, and things of that nature, that adds stress to the situation. People don't have clean clothes. That adds stress to this situation. They, you know, and planning things out for storms and everything else, that goes along with that. We talked about that in September, every September. That's important. But what's my point? One, be prepared. Number two, set a goal once a week, uh, one goal a year, one major goal. I talked about the uh, one family that I knew that lived down in Texas that, they made it a point where one, they did one thing a year for disaster preparation. 
And after four or five years, they had a whole co-op, a whole co-op, uh, uh, you know, a whole co-op set up down there, and they were able to do that. And uh, no, because they had families, other families joined them and everything else. So it's a great thing. So uh, we're going to go to break, and we're going to get to our main event. Oh, let me back up here. Our, uh, I get a lot of requests for things. No, before this was a live show uh, regularly on during the week, we did like short things on how to manage safety. And tonight we're going to talk about psychopaths in the workplace and how they impact safety and how do we, how do we identify them? And this is an important thing. So uh, uh, why? Causes a lot of stress. We actually have, let's see here, uh, an NIH paper here, National Institutes of Health. Uh, research on here. And again, uh, like last week with the medicine where I talked about medicines and if they're uh, no, causing depression and uh, suicidal ideation, things that were ideation, however you pronounce it, I use peer-reviewed data or from reputable sources and they were cross-referenced. A lot of people did not like that. I, got, I get it. it. It's very upsetting. However, that information's out there. It's not, you can't really call it conspiracy theory. No, that's not here. Conspiracy theorists, you're against medicine. No, I'm not against medicine. I'm for full disclosure on the potential impacts of medicine and an advocate for people finding out and asking questions. Number two. Number three, if you're a loved one, if you have a certain side effect, like you may kill somebody or you may be in deep depression, or you may cause harm to yourself, shouldn't that be something that you're talking about with your loved one? I think so. And this is going to be an ongoing conversation. So we're going to go to commercial break here, and I will get back to you in a minute. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. All right. So here we have. So I shared this story before. I left corporate America 
uh, in November 2004, going on uh, 20 years here. Now we're out of, uh, I work for an engineering firm, a very well-known engineering firm, and went out on my own and had a company, and you know, then we started another company, JCB Technical, which evolved into the Safety Wars thing. Uh, anyway, uh, about, and it was all about, now, you're working for a large company and they're very old school. Uh, even though everybody there philo- philosophically was left-leaning, the way that they, and what I find is that everybody lives their life, uh, their own personal life, more conservatively than what their public face is. And especially when it deals with careers. Right, that's my experience. You can have different experiences. Different. That's good. They're all valid. All right. I'm not going to argue that. But uh, about a week or so later, I was listening to the batch, John Bachelor and uh, it's Bachelor and Alexander. I forget the other guys. It was John Bachelor. He's still on the air. His partner is on the air in a less well-known market uh, right now. I lost track of him. Last name Alexander. Paul Alexander. That's what it was. And they had on uh, a Robert Hare, a Canadian psychologist. And they did a whole show on psychopathy. This is in November, early December 2004. And I said, holy woofno. Had I, had I, uh, 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 had this available for me, I might have been able to better this information. I might have been able to better to manage things. Now, there are ways of dealing with psychopaths. All right, out there. Uh, many ways, right? Uh, we'll go into a couple of those things immediately uh, uh, with that. And they're in the, uh, right? So what's psychopathy, right? And the old word, the new, uh, you know, sociopath, psychopath. Uh, no, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, they seem to be interchangeable. So a sociopath acts impulsively and erratically compared to psychopaths. Sociopaths generally struggle to maintain a job or family life, where psychopaths might be able to, while psychopaths generally struggle to form attachments. Sociopaths may be able to do so with only a like-minded difference. Now, I'm reading an article from Forbes uh, magazine here, and uh, they're, they're using interchangeable... Uh, up there and this and that and it keeps on changing back and forth but what it comes down to is this you're dealing with people who uh no sociopaths got out of uh, now it's not psychopath basically lack of empathy all right lack of empathy uh, right impulsiveness Developmental and antisocial traits, destructive and aggressive behavior. Those are basically what you're dealing with. So Dr. Hare came up with this checklist. It's like 22 items in here with this. And again, this is, we're going off of the original uh, the list. They call it the revised list, right? Uh, suppose it was developed by him statistically over years. And this is what it comes down to. You have a checklist, and this has got to be filled out by a professional psychologist 
or psychiatrist, somebody with, you know, thing, but for an official diagnosis. And we're not into diagnosing people here. But these are some of the traits you need to be aware of. And I'm going to add one or two more that are, uh, that I found uh, from other sources. One of them is Farvra, uh, I believe her name was Simpson, who came out with a, a book on this, on psychopaths. Uh, I believe, right? And, the, and there was a couple of other traits. One of them is, well, I'll give it right off the bat before I forget. For her, it was, you know people who have a high tolerance for pain? That is a physiological result, it's believed, of some type of psychopathy. Where they're a- unable to feel, they have no emotion, and everything of that nature, or limited emotion, limited range, whatever we're going to call it, but that's another one where, physio, where physical, right? There's a physical impact to that. So here we go. Let's see if you, we recognize any in other people and especially ourselves. Glibness or superficial charm. Egocentricity, grandiose sense of self-worth. Proneness to boredom, low frustration tolerance. Lying, pathological lying and deception. We're not talking the little white lies like, honey, does this uh, uh, dress make me look fat kind of thing, right? That's not what we're talking about. Yeah, I know that was what's up. But, you know, with a, hey, does this make me look handsome? And your wife says, yeah, yeah, it looks good. Looks like crap, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, we're talking complete and total lying and deception. Why? No. Lack of sincerity, lack of remorse or guilt, lack of, a, of effect and emotional depth, callousness, a lack of empathy. Uh, hold on, we're getting alarms here on the burglar alarm. Parasitic lifestyle, short-tempered or poor behavioral controls, promiscuous, Sexual relations. How do you define that nowadays? I don't know. Uh, hold on. Burglar alarm going off. Nope. False alarm. Early behavior problems. Lack of realistic long-term plans. Impulsivity. Irresponsible behavior as a parent. Frequent marital relationships. Meaning they're getting divorced and remarried. Here is something you may not be able to... Uh, judge juvenile delinquency. Usually those records are sealed. Failure to accept the responsibility for one's actions, poor probation or parole risk, many types of offense, drug or alcohol abuse, not direct cause of antisocial behavior. Now, one of the things is failure to accept responsibility for your own actions. This is one of those things that a psychopath may switch around on you. So, for example, you get sabotaged by someone, by one of these guys, usually a man, and then they say, well, you won't accept any, and you say, look, I'm not accepting blame for this, and we know through hop, blame fixes nothing, and this is why we don't uh, really go after blame. And what it is is they'll try to, they're not going to accept responsibility for their own actions, but they want you to accept responsibility for your actions, and then when you don't, Right for your alleged actions or offenses for when things go wrong, then they switch it around on you. Now, the thing is with this, uh, 
Now, this has to be done by a psychologist, by a professional in the field. However, do you know somebody in your workplace that does any of this? Glibness, superficial charm, previous diagnosis, egocin, pardon me, tristy pronus, the boredom, low frustration tolerance, pathological lying, right? Now, it, it, how does it, it really impact you in there? So uh, here we have uh, working with a psychopath. This is from the NIH Right, published uh, international. What's the name of this thing? All right, this is from the NIH, National Institutes of Health. Working with a psychopath, is there light at the end of the tunnel? This is a study from 2022. Having a supervisor from Jamie Stewart and Adele Forth and Janelle Baudet. Having a supervisor with psychopathic characteristics is related to being bullied, poor job satisfaction, work and family life conflict, financial instability, and distress. To date, all research on corporate psychopathy victims considers how they are negatively impacted rather than positive outcomes. In response, this study examined how working with a psychopath impacts post-traumatic growth. Right, Utilizing mixed methods, well, this study draws upon the experiences of 285 vehicles, uh, individuals, where did that come from, who have worked with a colleague or supervisor with alleged psychopathic characteristics. Results indicated that approach coping and psychopathic characteristics predicted uh, post-traumatic growth. Uh, right, right. Qualitative analysis revealed that the majority of participants used coping strategies, right, uh, like emotion focus, received support, and underwent post-experiential growth and learning, positive personal growth. Not all growth or learning was positive, however, i.e. less tr- trusting. So what they uh, want to do here is essentially, uh, uh, right, this uh, quotes, uh, now the checklist we just talked about, uh, over the last few decades, the role of psychopathy within maladaptive behaviors, such as delinquency and crime, has been studied extensively. More recently, the notion of a successful psychopath or one that has avoided maladaptive consequences, meaning like criminal behavior, that has obtained desirable outcomes in life, has become an avenue of research for many, where researchers have predominantly explored the effects of psychopathy in the workplaces. Most notably, okay, this is a repeat. Uh, research has considered how survivors of corpus psychopaths are negatively impacted rather than any potential positive outcomes. In response, the study examined how working with alleged psychopaths impacts post-traumatic growth. So why do, people, why do companies hire psychopaths? One, they're charming. Number two, uh, and this is according to the article, and we have another article here, right? They have polished, charm, cool decisiveness, and yet can be singled out, right? And basically, a short-term hiring normally with this, unless you're a company owner. So they come in here, they big producers, big performers, and they leave everybody in their, you know, in their wake. 
Right. It could be positive things where people are like, wow, I'm, you know what? I'm making a lot of money here. I'm going to stay with this situation. But they end up having coping skills like the article had said. Right. But the other thing, on the other hand, you go through as usually people with high turnovers. Right. That is one of the negative effects of these folks. So you go workplace bullying, people quitting their jobs. You have legal liabilities. Often people will come up with schemes on how to set up a psychopath. I know of one uh, person who did this, and it blew up in their face, and they ended up in jail for five years. Uh, you have moral hazard with the company, wasted employee time where you have people just can't perform their job because of these folks. Poor levels of job satisfaction, lower perceived levels of corporate social responsibility, I mean, that's our example that I use of fall protection all the time where we have uh, one uh, employee of one of my clients that says, hey, I don't care if people are falling off the roof. What do I care? That's their problem, not mine. And there's a reason for that too, lack of accountability. Absenteeism, and I would say presenteeism, and heightened level of workplace conflict. And this is another thing is... uh, the, uh, you know, things got switched around. How do you, how do you deal with a psychopath? I'm going to talk about that in a minute, uh, with this. Uh, so how do you deal with a psychopath comes up next. What, and I'm not going to give any suggestions here because, uh, knowing me, I'm going to give the wrong suggestion, but one that seems to be a common theme is, if you're dealing with someone with a personality like this, you have to deal with them immediately. So I, you know, I, I no, I let pe- I let people vent, I let people talk, and everything else with this, get it out of their system, and then usually what happens is, I tell the person, I said, okay, this is what your one pass, what your one pass. You're going to scream and yell, this is your one pass, get it out of your system. Because the next time that we see this behavior in you, it's real simple. It's a job stopper. The job is going to stop. Everything is going to stop, and I'm going to deal with you right then and there. And then it, I said, you, now you got it out of your system? Gonna, and by the way, I document this. I go to human resources. In my case, I go to the client. I go to the client's human resources. And once you put the person on notice, look, I need to say it in front of people. Look, we're going to deal with this right here and now. Get it out of your system because this is the last time you're going to do it. This way you're giving them a pass. You're turning the other cheek. You're giving them an opportunity to improve. And then you ask another question. How could we prevent this from happening again? So you try to turn this away. No, there are other things where you just clam up and just sit there and be quiet and don't respond. That frustrates them also because sometimes that's the correct way of doing it too because what happens is you're not acting. Now, part of the thing, the reason why they act the way that they do is that they want you to get a rise out of them and start an argument with them. So you can either give them the argument, which is the first thing I did, right? Which I gave them a little argument. Hey, this is going to be the last time you do this, so get it out of your system sort of thing. Or 
The other way, which a lot of people recommend, is just ignore it. Just ignore it and don't react. And, you're right, and just, hey, you know, what the hell is this about? And you can turn it around on them a little bit because it gives them a chance to self-correct, but it also makes them look foolish, right, with that. Now, I'm not going to say that I haven't given it back as good as I've gotten in these situations. And that rarely, I'm going to tell you, rarely works out with, uh, with that. I prefer working with people. Now, you're going to say, well, Jim, you're yelling on the screen. Well, that's not a good idea. You're talking about it on the air. Look, what's our, what's our business here? Our business is to save lives. So people don't get hurt, to have a better workplace, a more productive workplace and everything. Your responsibility to your employer or your client is to ensure that you have a safe workplace, you have a productive workplace, nobody gets hurt, nobody gets killed, there's no illnesses as much. And I, I'm not talking the zero accident sign. We know that that's a bunch of baloney. But we're, no, that's our thing. Now, in the hop world, right, in the hop world, Information, human organizational performance. More information means you are able to get, uh, makes you smarter. Makes you learn about the organization. How you react to that information is a different story. You got to act in a positive way. You may not like all the information, may be uncomfortable, but you have information. And more importantly, the people you're working with have more information so they can make appropriate decisions with that. I explain it like this. Let's say that, let's move, jump, move gears a little bit, switch one over. Let's say that you're a corporate officer and you are responsible for, uh, you're responsible for finances. Okay, so you're responsible for finances. So the end of the year or the beginning of the next year, when all these financial statements come out, and, you know, throughout the year, you have the 941 forms that go out, uh, you know, if you're a small business person, and you have you no know, tax returns, you have this report, that report, you're reporting things to the Securities and Exchange Commission and everything else. You're swearing on that that these are accurate numbers. These are accurate numbers, right? And if you, they're not accurate numbers, you could get into a little bit of trouble. Right, if you're trying to set a budget, not a let's talk, they get down a notch. You're trying to set a budget. You have to go and you have to guarantee. You know, you have to need information to set the budget, so you have your liabilities and everything else, so you're able to plan things out. If somebody was lying to you or not giving you information on a financial sense, here's the question: Would you be a little bit upset? Would that bother you? Do you place yourself out of liability? Probably. How, now, let's move this to the safety world. If there's a hazard in the workplace, if there's a behavior in the workplace, if there's something in the workplace that's negatively impacting safety, productivity, moral hazard, uh, every aspect of your thing, environmental liabilities and all this other stuff, wouldn't the same principle apply where you would want to know everything? I would say yes. 
So what's the uh, what's the uh, uh, my point here? It's your job as a safety professional to point out liabilities. I just listed a whole bunch of liabilities that a psychopath can bring into the workplace. Should that be reported to manage to management? It's your job. If you're credentialed, guess what? You better make damn sure that you document this stuff. If you are in states like New York and you're the confident person and you have a supervisor or project manager on a construction site that is short-circuiting the safety program, guess what? You better make damn sure that you document that. Why? Because if there is a problem, it's your rear end, guy or gal. You're the confident person. You're responsible for this stuff if someone gets hurt. And if you're getting short-circuited, you better make sure that this is documented. You better make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. I know New York. I don't know about some of the other states. Uh, somewhat, no. Not a lot of people get convicted under occupational safety and health law criminally, but that does happen. It usually has to do with records and things of that nature. So what's the moral of the story? Dealing with a psychopath, you got to deal with it. You don't avoid it. Because what happens is eventually these folks will cause a problem. Often, they're very short-term employees. That's my experience. Four or five years they're in there, and then they move on. They leave a mess in their wake with this. So that's all I'm going to comment on that. Uh, you can give me uh, your thoughts and everything else with that. And we're going to take another break. Have you listened or watched uh, the Safety War Show? It does stream live on, on the radio and um, on the streamer emers that we have. So if you have not taken a listen to Jim Bozel and what the hell he's doing every evening with uh, Safety Wars, I would, I would strongly encourage you to, um, to take a view or take a listen, um, whichever option is available for you, and take a listen to what the hell he has going on. Uh, it's definitely, it will take some deep dives and some information that you might be interested in. All right. Uh, you are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow, safety today. Okay, here we have bipolar disorder. This is from studyfinds.org uh, by studyfinds staff. Bipolar, and we're going to be talking about mental health. Uh, I'm going to, with what happened with the Morgan family last week in uh, New City, uh, right, and what my community is going through, this is going to be an ongoing thing. So I'm just warning everybody here. We're going to be talking about mental health, we're going to be talking about medicine. Uh, medicines and things of that nature. We have a story on that here also. Bipolar disorder more likely to cause premature death than smoking. This is out of uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. An alarming new study reveals uh, people with bipolar disorder are significantly more likely to die prematurely. Researchers from the University of Michigan are showcasing a stark reality faced by individuals with a serious mental illness, which is characterized by... Extreme mood swings ranging from manic highs to depressive lows. For this study, researchers analyzed data from two different groups. They found that, that people with bipolar disorder were four to six times more likely to die earlier than those without the disorder. This contrasted sharply with smokers who were found only to be twice as likely to die immaturely, regardless, uh, uh, or die prematurely regardless of their bipolar status. Uh, who did this study here? Mish, uh, it was 
18,000 patients at Michigan Medicine, the University of Michigan's Academic Medical Center, and uh, all of this stuff. So my question is this, uh, with this, uh, a lot of these medicines that are causing people uh, to die earlier here, a lot of these treatments are they causing people? This is a question. I'm not making a statement. Are they, how does the medication, the treatment impact this? Because I tell you what, I have some experience with this, with uh, some, uh, you know, some experience, life experience with this. Not me. I'm not bipolar. All right. Uh, so uh, sometimes the medicine, are the medicines causing a problem? with this and cannot be managed with that. And uh, no, does this, uh, does this, uh, uh, no, do we have to set up more monitoring programs to try to manage these illnesses and everything else that might come up? Is there a better way of doing things with that? Because what often happens, especially if with uh, veterans, they give them the medicines and send them on their way, no monitoring with them. And a lot of them, we do know we have a problem with veterans, and homelessness and everything else and with this stuff just a question there not making a statement and again it was a peer-reviewed uh, thing in uh, psychology uh, from a psychology journal here okay here we have another study here where is it here Ay, 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 ay. Hold on. All right, we had a story here that went through the same thing on semi-glutide, a.k.a. Ozempic Wegovi. And basically, uh, the study, and uh, I'm having a problem finding it here. Oh, here it is. Semiglutinide, and this is from Friday, January 5th, from the Na again, from the National Institutes of Health, peer-reviewed, right? Media advisory, this is a news release. Semiglutide associated with lower risk of suicidal ideations compared to other treatments prescribed for obesity or type 2 diabetes. NIH-funded analysis finds patients, patients treated with semaglutide had 49 to 73% lower risk of suicidal ideation than those given other medications. Uh, and here we go. I'll just read the article. It is a government article, so it is non-copyrighted. Right? So uh, this is from last Friday. Uh, semaglutinide, a uh, highly popular medication approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to treat obesity and manage type 2 diabetes, was associated with a 49% to 73% lower risk of first-time or recurring side suicidal ideations compared to other medications for controlling obesity and type 2 diabetes that worked via different mechanisms. These findings provide evidence that semiglutide, which helps regulate appetite and insulin levels by targeting a 
glucagon like peptide 1 receptor, GLP-1R, in the body does not appear to increase the risk of suicidal ideation, contrary to claims of some anecdotal reports. Published today in Nature Medicine and paired with related with a related research briefing, the study was co-led by scientists at Case Western Reserve University and National Institute on Drug Abuse, National Institutes of Health. Uh, no, no. Outside of anecdotal and case reports, the association had not yet been explored by comprehensive studies. Recently, patients prescribed the medication for obesity, brand name Wagovi, or type 2 diabetes, brand name Ozempic, have anecdotally reported suicidal ideations reported resulting from semi-glutide, and this is spurred European regulatory agencies to investigate. And going down. I tell you what, uh, the people who I know who are on this medication can't uh, rave about it. I tell you what, they rave about it. They, uh, <laughs> with it. Uh, so... Uh, that's something here. Now, let's go into some of the regular news. Here. I caramba, sign me out. Yes, I am a member. This is from the Washington Post. Right, so, over the weekend, or I should say late last week, there was a uh, Alaska Airline Flight 1282 uh, they had a blowout of a door at, in the 26th row. So this is in the trouble Boeing 736 Max. And I mean, I have stories here where it impacted the stock price and everything else. Uh, amazingly, none of the passengers or crew on board were seriously injured. Uh, even as freezing cold wind and mist whipped inside the depressurized cabin, blowing hats, earbuds, and phones away from their owners, passengers said the scene was the most part, calm. Well, I tell you what. Uh, that's a good thing. Being panicked in an emergency situation isn't really uh, a good thing. So, uh, so one witness said, something bad is happening. Something wrong is going on. It's not right. That's where the fear is set in. I started getting scared. Uh, the... Uh, reportedly, the gaping hole wasn't visible to anyone, everyone, and he and others initially didn't know what was happening around him. He recalled the woman walking up the aisle in front of the plane, yelling out that someone's shirt was sucked off their body through a hole in the plane. And another man stood up and shouted, pointing back, there's a leaping hole in the plane. There's a hole. <coughs> in, my, in my experience, there's usually a couple of holes in the plane, right? But there's different types holes. Passengers gasped as flight attendants again reminded passengers to put on their masks, stay seated, and buckled. Well, nobody was arguing that there was a conspiracy theory there. I, I just tried to do my best to remain calm, and I knew what I could do to contribute to the situation was to remain calm. Seeing and make sure everyone else around me was remaining calm, there's nothing else you can do as a passenger. So, uh, do do Anyway, it goes on and on. This is from the Washington Post. So, incredible. Uh, last week, there was a Japan Airlines crew that evacuated all 379 passengers off the plane before it burst into flames after a, a uh, collision with a uh, 
with a uh, uh, Ch- Japanese Coast Guard plane. A strange return to normalcy upon landing. Uh, everybody was in shock, according to one guy, and they landed the plane. Okay, good. I mean, you know, I'm sure there were minor injuries, but thank God it was nothing massive. So what did they find out? United Airlines finds loose bolts on several Boeing 737 MAX 9s. This is a report from CNBC after grounding. Well, that's kind of scary. Thank God. Again, this is again, is the plane safe? Well, I tell you what, what's safety? Yeah, presence of controls, right? Presence of safeguards. I mean, this was not did not result in a complete in a crash here because we have multiple controls. Good design of that plane and everything else. So, uh, again, safety is not the ac- absence of accidents. It's the presence of controls. Okay, where are we going to go here? Okay. Here we go for water safety. Bottled water, this is again from study finds. Bottled water contaminated with up to 100 times more plastic than thought. A single bottle of water can contain hundreds of thousands of microscopic plastic particles, potentially posing serious health risks, researchers warned. Scientists at Columbia University cautioned that these nanoplastics, which form as plastics break down into increasingly smaller particles, can infiltrate vital organs consumed daily by people worldwide. Their tiny size allows them to penetrate our bodies, reaching the bloodstream and even individual cells. So, again, as we discussed last week with the... uh, with uh, respirators, smaller particles, more surface area, more opportunity for chemical reactions and other stuff. Their findings reveal from this study an average of 240,000 tiny plastic particles per liter of bottled water, a figure 100 times higher than some previous estimates. Of these, 90% were nanoplastics and 10% were microplastics. Commonly found nanoplastics included polyethylene, terephthalate, PET, a typical substance used in making water bottles, and polyamide, like likely originating from plastic filters. So uh, they're just calling for more studies. Probably should be. Okay. And what else we got here? Okay, Department of Labor here. Uh, We have a couple of uh, things going on here. Uh, This is from... This is from January 8th. That's today. Out of Boston. This is from U.S. Department of Labor. And again, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in court of law. And this stuff may be litigated and uh, litigated... Uh, vacated, and every other kind of thing prior to this final uh, settlement here. Massachusetts Board of Building Regulations and Standards has revoked a company's construction supervisor's license for at least two years as a result of a complaint filed by the U.S. Department of Labor citing seven separate citations issued to the company since 2014 for violating federal fall fall safety, fall protection regulations. Must be written by computer as well as the continued failure to pay more than $300,000 in related penalties. 
the part the departments and this is out of Boston regional solicitor's office and ocean Boston presented evidence against the owner of the company before the board hearing office and obtain a favorable decision on November 17 2023 which revoked uh, the license and the decision the hearing officer ordered the owner of the company to return his license and cease any work on active building permits he holds until a successor license holder is substituted or the company regains their license. So he holds hundreds of permits. Uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts requires construction supervisors' licenses for projects that meet certain thresholds and can revoke them when the holders fail to comply with OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Act. Going on and on and on. Well, uh, it's unfortunate. You know, you don't pay your bills and, you know, you do that, you're going to have a problem. Now, this is another one. One's, oh, last week. So one of our programs last week, we had technical difficulties. I did not release it on here uh, as a podcast. We're going to redo it, right? Uh, because we talked about smart goals. We'll be talking about them on our next program for sure. Federal workplace safety inspectors found an Appleton contractor once again ignored the dangers of allowing employees to do residential work, roof work, without required fall protection. And here we go. $281,485 in penalties. And I'm scrolling down. Citation one, item one. No fall protection, six feet or greater. Right? Not, no, nothing. No type of assessment or anything else. $156,259. Uh, right? Citation one, item two. No training. Repeat violation, serious. $85,938. Citation one, item three. Repeat, serious. The ladder, the, they had a extension ladder that did not extend three feet above the upper landing surface. And again, this is a repeat violation, $19,644. Citation one, item four. And no training on the ladders, $19,644. Her grand total of $281,485,000 proposed penalty. Uh, just, you know, I don't know what to tell you on this one, guys. Right. It's sort of like if you ever saw that movie, that Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar. No, you get a phone call sometimes. Do you have any advice for us to avoid problems with OSHA? Yeah, how about obey the law? <laughs> you know, would be nice. Okay, going on. Now, this is... Hmm. Again, an ADA looks like act violation. Federal court has ordered an operator of a Columbus residential care facility to pay $332,972 in back wages and liquidated damages to 35 resident workers after the U.S. Department of Labor found the employer underpaid the workers and violated federal law protecting workers with disabilities. Um, and this is... 
a consent order, uh, a judgment, an order requiring a certain ranch that has a similar name to a cereal, I don't mention company names usually, to pay 166000 in back wages and equal amount in liquidated damages. An investigation by the wage department's wage and hourly uh, wage and hour division determined that the company, which offers living and learning experiences for adults with developmental disabilities, failed to uh, comply with requirements in Section 511 of the Rehabilitation Act, which negated the employer's ability to pay the submission subminimum wage associated with Fair Labor Standards Act. So let us, what is that? Limitations, uh, this is from Wage and Hour Division, Fact Sheet 39H. Limitations on the work uh, on this. So, oh, 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 let's see. The fact sheet provides general information concerning the impact of Section 511 uh, of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. Uh, for, uh, oh, 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 going on. Section 511 places important limits on the ability of employers to pay uh, to pay some minimum wages to workers with disabilities. These limits are designed to ensure workers are paid some minimum wages under Section 14C have access to necessary support and resources which enhance access to competitive integrated employment. Uh, so, basically... My understanding here with this is this. Uh, you're allowed to pay some minimum wages to certain individuals that are disabled. All right. And you have to meet certain requirements. They did not meet those certain requirements uh, here. Right. And I've had some experience working with disabled workers. Uh, specifically people with learning disabilities who are in this program. And what the idea is is to integrate people into a into workplace, right, and add an incentive to the uh, companies to hire people who are disabled, who have developmental disabilities, who have uh, other types of disabled disabilities that, and things of that nature, whatever the qualifications are here. And overall, it's a good program in my experience with that. Uh, with that, well, the problem is, is that sometimes employers are uh, predatory, right? Predatory employers, and that's a term that I coined here. Predatory employers, where they take advantage of people in that situation. I think it's a good thing that they uh, got caught and everything else with that. See how many minutes we have left here on the program. Okay, have a uh, two minutes left here. Okay, with that, we're going to need to share, which means we're not going to do it. Now, I'm going to leave you with this here. Well, you know it's a political year when you see something like this. I'm just going to read the headlines here. Biden-Harris administration announces at least $17 million in awards for clean school buses across Michigan. Biden-Harris administration announces Wisconsin to receive clean school bus funding. 
Biden-Harris administration announces $40 million across Arizona for clean school buses. Biden-Harris administration announces Indiana to receive clean school bus funding. Biden-Harris administration announces nearly $8 million across Nevada for clean school buses. All right, so now we're dealing with, oh, okay, here we go, another one. Biden-Harris administration announces $17.1 million for clean school buses. Biden-Harris administration announces $19 million in awards for clean school buses. Biden-Harris administration announces at least $42 million in awards for clean school buses across Illinois. Biden-Harris announces $90 million. And it goes on and on and on. So let's count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Click on the page. 16, 16, 17. 17 stories on one day, press releases issued by the EPA on clean school buses. They couldn't put it all into one article? Really? Really? I guess these are I, no, the people using this for political stuff. And, you know, again, this shows, well, look, we, you know, again and again and again. I mean, we're being manipulated. Republicans do the same thing. Let's not uh, be here, right? Let's not be uh, 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 unrealistic here. Uh, what I'm against, people say, well, what are you for? What are you against, Jim? What I'm against is manipulating people. I really am. Uh, and, and that's how I see it is manipulation. Uh, we'll be talking about that too again. Uh, let's get our video here. And uh, we will see you uh, tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.